You worked in Babel, um, Babylon, which is now, as of 2019, um, UNESCO World Heritage Site. It wasn't then when you were working there. Let me ask you um, a question about that. Why would the US and the Polish army use it as a military camp? I have no idea. The, uh, during the invasion, um, the first soldiers that arrived at the site uh, were the US Marines. And they um, had some manholes, they dug manholes which makes sense, but only on the on the outskirts at the site. Maybe it was also a little bit inside, uh, but that really did not do that much damage. Now, who took the decision to make that a regional uh, headquarters? I don't know. Uh, I never could find out. I tried actually, uh, but I never could find out uh, who did that. Then uh, the region was under Polish control, so uh, the commander was a Polish uh, general. Uh, so that's actually the situation um, that I uh, entered. The point was that uh, my predecessors in the Bahraini was already very upset about the um, uh, regional headquarters at Babylon, and she convinced the ambassador, the US ambassador, to uh, do something about it, to get the military out. Now, you see, there was a duel, and you find that in the history uh, of the occupation uh, uh, too, there was a, du a dual uh, uh, command system. First, you had the State uh, uh, Department, you know, the, the Foreign Affairs, Reed Embassy, and then you had the military. Now, in that struggle within the Bush government, uh, uh, the military, uh, uh, they won. Uh, if you read that history, uh, 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 you know, before the invasion, etc., you see that there was a constant clash between staff from uh, the military, uh, the Pentagon, and staff from uh, the State Department. And the State Department uh, did have uh, at least a little bit better ideas before the invasion, actually, uh, in, in uh, protecting the cultural heritage site in Iraq once the, uh, Iraq would be invaded by the US. Uh, but it was all down the drain. So with a console fight. Now, because I was a military, reserve officer, actually, and also an officer, um, and that was the uh, one of the advantages. I could go to uh, the uh, high command of the U.S. troops uh, in Baghdad, which I did. And it didn't didn't take me very long to convince them to uh, keep up uh, or to to leave the site and um, put a regional uh, uh, military command somewhere else, which became Divania. Uh, there were definitely fully uh, cooperating on that. Uh, so in general, when Americans say, okay, we'll do it, they will do it. Uh, in order to get them that far, that's a different story. Uh, I mean, it was 24 seven uh, to get the, um, to change the, the military command from uh, Babil to uh, the Divania. It took in the end $200 uh, million and it took them six months actually yeah, more or less six months uh, to move everything. Meanwhile, uh, the minister the minister asked me to uh, to go over to Babylon together with uh, his uh, staff from the SBAH uh, and sort of negotiate. Yeah, uh, and especially his, his his intake his 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 main interest was 
the, uh, what kind of damage was there and who done it. Now, he said, because uh, in the light of uh, the future, I'm not that much interested in uh, the persons who did the damage, who caused the damage, uh, but I'm more interested in an inventory of the damage at the Babylon site. And then uh, he had uh, good contact with the British Museum and um, John Curtis, uh, uh, he knew personally and actually, yeah, uh, Donny George also knew John Curtis. Yeah, that was the way it went. Uh, and uh, they invited um, John Curtis to come over. Actually, first, uh, uh, the minister invited the uh, UNESCO to come over to oversee uh, the inventory of the damage at the Babylon site. Then you have to remember the uh, UN headquarters was blown up in Baghdad before, uh, which killed actually the, the ambassador, the UNESCO ambassador there. Uh, so um, all UN staff was forbidden to go to Iraq, including staff of UNESCO. So that was a dead end. And then they found uh, John Curtis, uh, um, who was willing to come over and uh, oversee the damage. So we had a group of people to inventory the damage. Uh, we had the local, uh, um, the local inspector of archaeology there, Babil, and especially the Babylon site, uh, Miriam something. Uh, there were the poles there, and uh, the headquarters also, the regional headquarters also included two archaeologists, but actually they were PhD students, militarized uh, PhD students. Um, so also um, reserve officers. They tried, uh, but they were young. They didn't know much about the circumstances. Uh, uh, they did have knowledge of, of some of the, uh, you know, let's say technical archeological knowledge on Babylon, but that was it. And they had no power whatsoever. They just did not have no power, but they cooperated and they were willing. Uh, so they gave us a report uh, when we arrived. And then of course, the, there was a staff of um, uh, the SBAH and the archeological service. And actually I went over with uh, the minister a, a couple of times. Now, before you get to a point that uh, everything was okay in the handing over of the uh, site to uh, the SBAH, uh, many things happened. First of all, the um, Polish commander who got educated in Moscow um, didn't want to move the site, uh, to move the regional headquarters, very easy. So I went back to the high command, the US high command in Baghdad and I said, look guys, I've got a problem here and he's under your control. So what are you gonna do? So they sent with me a, a one-star general, didn't help. Then they sent a two-star general, didn't help either. So then I said to the minister, yeah, this is gonna be troublesome. It's gonna be trouble. Uh, I spoke to the political advisor of the Polish commander in Babylon. It's getting a little bit complicated, but this is the way it worked. Um, and he was an, an, an ambassador actually, but now in the position of a political advisor. And he was the, Polish, the, the, the former Polish uh, ambassador in Yemen. Uh, and I could deal with him, but he was sort of a sneaky. So I had to be careful with him. Um, so then the, the minister, uh, you know, Al Jazeera and I sat around the table and said, look, why don't you call up your colleague in uh, Warsaw? And 
you know, uh, present him with the problem. Um, then I think it went a little bit different. I'm not quite sure. I have to look at my notes uh, to get everything straight. But I think the uh, Minister of Defense in Warsaw was approached, I think, by the Americans. I'm not quite sure. He went to the Ministry of Culture in Warsaw and he went down to the commander and then everything was arranged. So then the Polish uh, commander of uh, the regional headquarters at Babylon was ready to move the regional headquarters. Mm. Um, then we still had this committee to establish, um, um, to establish the damage. We had a lot of discussions there. One of the things is uh, uh, the Iraqis were not uh, allowed to, to go into the palace. Saddam built this palace uh, worth $200,000. He only visited it once or twice uh, at the, within the site of the, uh, the Babylon. Uh, actually met a couple of people who cooperated on building the palace. Uh, but it was close to the Iraqis uh, because the Poles didn't uh, trust the Iraqis. And I said, well, today you will trust them and you will open the doors. Very simple. And uh, I think they were sort of scared, scared of me. I'm not quite sure. The, well, uh, I'm a little bit confusing now, but uh, uh, you have to see that uh, with all the different parties sort of uh, choose me to become uh, uh, the secretary of this committee or the, the chief, the leader of the committee. So it naturally went that way. Not quite sure why, but uh, this is what happened. So everybody was looking at me. Anyway, uh, the doors were opened and they said, well, there were intelligence units here. Then close the door. No, we go in. This is the palace of the Iraqis and the Iraqis have the right to enter this palace. Basta. So we did. Um, then, of course, we had to, uh, later we had discussions with the minister on what do you want to do with the palace? I said, make it into a hotel. He said, nah, nah we better make it into a knowledge center, just knowledge center, which in the end I agreed with him actually. Um, so then there were all kinds of things that uh, the, um, the military wanted to break down, like defenses. I said, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And everything was dis discussed within this group of people wandering around the site of Babylon to establish the damage. And um, so uh, we made sort of a contract of what to, be, uh, what to leave at the Babylon site, defenses, the watchtowers. I mean, it was to the benefit of the protection of the site. Uh, um, also, after uh, the uh, regional command uh, moved to Divania. Uh, uh, so we decided with everybody what uh, uh, the Iraqis wanted to, uh, to leave, which we did. Then there was the problem, of course, of the, the uh, oil spills that were there. Many of us uh, thought that, um, yeah, quite a, quite a lot of damage was either done by nature for example, the breaking of the beams in, in the certain uh, uh, houses that were reconstructed already under Saddam at the site. Uh, that was heavy rains and it was not very well done. Um, then uh, there was definitely some damage the, uh, done with the helicopter uh, site on the uh, on the, on the Babylon, uh, in Babylon. It was actually uh, started uh, as a parking lot uh, already in the, uh, in, the, in the times of Saddam, 
when he so-called uh, restored or rebuilt uh, Babylon, for example, the Greek theater. And I met a woman who uh, was actually heading uh, the reconstruction, quotation marks, of the Greek theater, and she excused herself. And I told her, well, don't, don't excuse yourself. You probably couldn't do anything under these uh, circumstances. But a lot of actually was uh, concrete that was used for the so-called reconstruction of the Greek theater. And he, ne he needed that for the Babylon festival by Saddam. He used uh, uh, cultural heritage uh, to uh, strengthen his power. Um, then, um, yeah. So there were the difficulties in, in, in trying to figure out uh, who was caused, well, actually what damage was and what, uh, and of course it uh, also um, the Paradise Road uh, that leads to where the main gate to the Babylon site, at least at the way it is constructed now, um, it's covered by uh, uh, ceramic tiles, big ceramic tiles, and most of them were broken. Now, uh, the Iraqis said uh, it was done by uh, the military, and uh, most of us thought that it was done just by nature, by heavy rains. Uh, the, at the end of the uh, Paradise Road, there were uh, uh, concrete blocks to stop uh, uh, anybody getting in. And uh, the idea was to, um, you know, to get rid of them. But I said, well, you cannot use this road. You cannot use a heavy truck to go up to these concrete blocks and uh, put them uh, put them on, uh, on on the lorries. You cannot do that. It will damage uh, the tiles again. So uh, then I asked the Poles if they had a helicopter, and they said yes. But uh, I said, well, can you lift those blocks? No. Then I turned to the Americans. I said, you have heavy helicopters. Uh, can you do it? Yes, we can do it. So that was done. So the blocks at the end of the Paradise Road were lifted uh, by helicopter, put. Uh, uh, on a truck which was on the asphalt road uh, near nearby. So that's actually what happened. The question you asked me about uh, if there was illegal digging on uh, Babylon, the answer is very simple, no, there was not. The first to arrive at Babylon were the US, the US uh, Marines, and indeed they set up defense ditches and dug some manholes, according to the SBAH report. Much damage, however, especially the digging of ditches uh, for defense purposes and moving and flattening land by both the coalition forces and KBR was done in the site after 2003, but no illegal diggings. This was all confirmed by uh, the different audit reports uh, when the minister, uh, uh, that which the minister set up. It was an international uh, audit with uh, representative of the SBAH, the chief inspector of Babylon, uh, Dr. Miriam Moussa, uh, representatives of the US embassy, the Polish military delegation, which included actually three uh, archeological PhD students. And they uh, gave a very uh, uh, extensive report of 500 pages. Then also people from uh, the Ministry of Culture and the military command and uh, the British Museum, John Curtis, which was specially done on request of uh, the minister because UNESCO could not come because nobody at the UN staff uh, was able to enter uh, Iraq because of security uh, reasons. And they all 
delivered their um, reports and um, that was actually the basis of the UNESCO ICC Babylon Committee, which was created afterwards and of which I was a member. And they came up with different uh, recommendations. So that is, that, um, yeah. Another thing is um, the only ones who could actually uh, um, do some illegal diggings at Babylon were the Poles, the Polish army. Uh, but I uh, read the report again, and there's no evidence that they did uh, any uh, excavations in uh, Babylon. It, as a matter of fact, they put quite a lot of money in the reconstruction of equipment uh, projects for the modern buildings on the site of Babylon and in the province, uh, Babil and elsewhere. Uh, so they did, did put in uh, an, an effort uh, to uh, reconstruct or at least to, to rehabilitate some of the buildings, but not the ant uh, antiquities. Just on that point, um, were SBH staff, so the State Board of Antiquities and Heritage staff, did they have free access to the whole site when you were there? No. Uh, that was one of the points because uh, uh, in the surroundings of Babylon, uh, there were still attacks uh, from uh, quotation mark insurgents. Uh, so it was heavily guarded, especially on the outside. <clears throat> now, when we did the audit, uh, I wanted to see the palace, uh, but there was secret service uh, of the military in the palace and also especially the, um, uh, the room with uh, a lot of, uh, yeah, the communication room with a lot of radar information, etc., etc. So that uh, was, according to the Polish uh, military, impossible for us to uh, enter uh, the palace. I said, well, then you close the door. After all, uh, the palace is part of Babylon and um, the Iraqis um, should have access to everything they want. Uh, so it happened. So we went into the palace uh, to see what was going on there. And only one room, uh, the, the door was closed and that was uh, the room with all the uh, communication uh, equipment. So for the rest, we could uh, enter wherever we uh, wanted to. On, on the issue of the palace, was it um, looted in 2003? That I don't know. Uh, there was looting on the site, and that was uh, done by the, um, um, yeah, by the people in the surroundings, people from Hila uh, and other people. I mean, the, the site was already encroached uh, uh, by uh, local farmers and villages uh, which were, uh, was around the site. So the locals did enter the site uh, after uh, 2003 and after the uh, invasion. Uh, so everything was cleared. And with that, I mean, all equipment was gone, pipings, uh, you name it, office equipment, everything was gone. So most, for example, most of the palace was just, just totally bare. There was nothing there except for what the Poles brought in. Uh, and that was also uh, um, the case with other uh, uh, modern buildings uh, around the palace, for example. There were quite a few of uh, buildings to house uh, the staff of uh, Saddam. Uh, so everything was just bare. There's nothing there. Everything was ripped, just like uh, in Baghdad with uh, you know, the library and the museums, etc. When when you were there, did you hear of looting, um, archaeological looting outside the main city of Babylon, in on in other sites of Babel or Babylon? Oh did yeah, you definitely. That was the case. Oh yeah, yeah. We made an estimation, but that is 
more like, well, let's say not, not based on facts. Uh, uh, but the main sites uh, were looted uh, very much. In fact, so far, in so far, uh, uh, the people came up with guns, the looters. And uh, what Elizabeth Stone said is that they first dug um, uh, straight down into the ground and then uh, on horizontal, uh, horizontal uh, level, uh, they uh, dig uh, uh, some, uh, yeah. They started digging uh, to find, yeah, to, you know, to look for gold mainly, or uh, anything that was interesting for the um, uh, illegal uh, artifacts uh, trade, and especially cuneiform tablets and ivory and things like that. And they came with heavy equipment. I mean, there were enough uh, evidence, uh, uh, also pictures of that. So, which I just said, uh, which I told you earlier, uh, uh, it was. Uh, very important uh, to give the inspectors and the staff of the uh, provincial inspectors uh, equipment uh, to first of all defend themselves uh, uh, connect them to so we gave them guns and connect them to uh, a nearby military base a u.s military base so that they could come out and defend the site and also um, uh, which i said uh, earlier we gave them uh, communication uh, equipment so they could communicate not only with their own people and between themselves but also uh, with the nearby u.s uh, military base but it was a point to uh, connect the u.s army with uh, uh, the staff of the inspectorate because nobody trusted each other uh, so we actually uh, went down, and in one case, I don't remember which one that was, but uh, yeah, that was in Hila. Uh, uh, I um, introduced uh, the Iraqi staff uh, and the inspectorate uh, to the local U.S. Uh, base in order to sort of, you know, start trusting each other. They also got, uh, the staff also got flag jackets, I remember that, and helmets and stuff like that. Uh, so that uh, definitely uh, helped to defend uh, the biggest sites, at least. On, on a little bit more on Babylon. Um, the one inspector, and that is, this is about the palace, is, uh, which we talked about earlier, is um, um, uh, one of the points is that uh, actually uh, Saddam uh, only slept there once. And you know it costed uh, two hundred million dollars. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the details is that uh, there was a staircase built in the palace, which was built in green marble. But Saddam didn't like the color, so they ripped down the whole staircase, which was in you know near the entrance, which is one big sort of Hollywood uh, movie staircase. And they rebuilt it with the uh, proper uh, green marble. So just a total waste of money. Two hundred two hundred million. Yeah, two hundred million dollar for the whole palace to build. Yes. The, the, there were several parties that um, completed assessments. I mean, there was the Polish assessment of the damage. There was a State Department funded uh, assessment, John Russell, and there was the obviously the UNESCO one, um, which was the one with um, which was a final summary, I think, one of um, that John Curtis. Uh, completed. That was not UNESCO. That was the ICC Babylon Committee. Yeah. No, you know, actually, the report that John made was actually for the British Museum. Yeah. Then later, John became also a member of the ICC. Okay. 
And then there was also uh, an Italian... Mir Miriam, her report. The and there was report. the SBH, Miriam's report. Yeah. Um, I mean, when we look back at those reports... Well, can I make a remark on that? Yeah, Because in my experiences before in other countries, I noticed that a lot of people, uh, uh, for example, I gave a lecture at the university in Dhaka in Bangladesh, and uh, uh, nobody had any paper uh, uh, or any pencil with them. And I told them, well, how are you going to remember what I'm saying? And so it started laughing. I said, well, uh, I will start the seminar when everybody comes back with paper uh, and um, pencils. And they looked at me like, this guy is nuts, which is true, by the way. But anyway, so when I found out that was I sort of, you know, put in this, this senior position within the um, Babylon committee to establish the damage, uh, I especially asked uh, the Iraqi people to make notes themselves and to share those notes with us uh, as we would share the notes with them. Because I'm, I made notes on every visit and distributed them uh, to, to everybody else. Uh, uh, because I knew this was a weakness. So when finally we asked uh, a final report from the Iraqis, uh, they were s sort of coming up with uh, empty-handed uh, until finally uh, the chief inspector, the main inspector uh, of archaeology there, came up with a rather weak report. But there's no, there's been no compensation. There has been no compensation, even there has been damage. But there was no compensation in what now 18, 17 years since that damage. So one has to ask, okay, the damage was documented, um, but there was no any kind of effort to hold anyone to account and it's not just Bab Babel or Babylon but there were other sites as you know I mean you worked on other sites too I mean um, um, on other sites you, you said you worked on the Meluia Samarra uh, with the sniper situation could you tell us about that because and then we'll go back to a bit about Babel, Babel. I have one question about that so you just tell us a bit about well that. about compensation uh, 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 every commander in the field of the at least of the US, I know that, and I think also the UK, which was mainly present in Basra. Uh, if they killed somebody, a, a civilian, collateral damage, quotation marks again, uh, uh, they would compensate the family a little bit. So they would give them money. Why that did not happen uh, in the case of damage to archaeological sites uh, uh, or even museums or libraries, I'm not quite sure. Uh, there was a lot of money running around, which I was not aware of until afterwards when I left the country, uh, 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 that was available available within the army with different kind of funds. I mean, I've been looking at the different funding of the projects. Uh, school libraries uh, uh, were repaired and funded uh, by, um, by units themselves, military units themselves. Uh, to get an overview, and I, I tried again uh, uh, some time uh, ago, and it's next to impossible to see where all those funds were, uh, came from. There's no overview. Uh, actually, we tried, uh, I, I told the minister to, to make an overview of the funds so we could use them. And one of his advisors, I uh, started doing that and he had the same idea. It was the Iraqi uh, advisor to the minister who unfortunately got killed later. My, my friend that I talked about, uh, um, uh, who got killed actually, uh, the, was an advisor of the Ministry of uh, Culture and his name was uh, Kamil Shia. And I told you we were very good friends. We saw each other uh, definitely uh, 
once uh, yeah, a couple of times on my instigation, but he had the same idea actually. We started putting together a sheet of all the uh, money that, uh, um, all the projects. We, we needed a list of projects actually, uh, because the ministry was not very well organized uh, and we did not have control of what was going on in the culture sector and certainly not in the uh, cultural heritage sector. So uh, I proposed a list of uh, projects in the cultural heritage sector and where the money came from and how much money it was. And he put that together actually. Uh, so he was a very efficient um, uh, person with modern ideas. Um, yeah, and actually afterwards uh, we met a couple of times in Erbil and actually very uh, used to live uh, with his family in Brussels as well. Uh, so I was very sorry that uh, he got shot. But he didn't want any protection. Samara, Amawia. Um, on January 1 or 2 of 2005, um, a picture appeared in the Wall Street Journal of a sniper on top of Amawia in Samara. And um, everybody was getting upset. Actually, the, the, the press officer, the main press officer came to me and he said, what is this? I said, well, it's an archaeological site. You know, the sniper has no place, you know, a place of being there. You'll attract fire from uh, uh, the insurgents, quotation marks again. Um, Samara uh, uh, is an important uh, archaeological site. Um, so then I called UNESCO and I said, you know, can you give me the details? because I need to reach out to the local commander uh, at Samara to get the sniper off. And I need evidence, I need you know, information on the site. And actually, they didn't come up with enough information. So I also asked uh, the SBA agent, Tony George, give me information, I need to know. Uh, and I never got clear information. And it took a month, maybe even longer before I really knew what was, you know, how important Amalia was. Uh, and actually, from the outside, it looks new. But uh, 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 the nucleus is very old, and it was uh, restored again, quotation marks, uh, in Saddam times. Uh, so it is an old structure, uh, uh, but it looks a little bit new from the outside because it was restored. Once I got that information, uh, I went to the uh, uh, command uh, general. He didn't uh, really want to move, so I went back to that. I command in Baghdad, etc., and I finally got things going. Uh, I was helped by an uh, archaeologist in France, a colleague, who gave me uh, very good information as well. Uh, and so, in the end, we got the sniper off. It took a while, too long actually. Uh, I also uh, had the help of uh, an officer that helped, was in my office uh, from the Civil Affairs Unit, the U.S. Civil Affairs Unit. Uh, I told him to um, go uh, have a look at the site and to see if the sniper is still there. Uh, so we organized a helicopter and then, uh, and, you know, helicopters always go by two because of security reasons. So I managed that and I sent him to uh, make, and uh, yeah, to have a look and make pictures. So when he came back that evening, it was very clear that the sniper was still there. So I called up the uh, local commander, the US commander again, and I said, he's got to get off. And uh, he got a message from the high command. This was so, an American sniper. Yeah. 
Um, but the Meluia, was it also damaged by insurgent attacks? Yeah. If I remember correctly, uh, uh, the insurgents, uh, how do you say, uh, uh, hit the tower, well, in order to hit the, the, the sniper, uh, with artillery shells. Uh, whatever you call it, I don't remember the English word now. Yeah. Um, yes. So the, the proof was there. Later on, I had a discussion again with the French archaeologist, a colleague. Uh, uh, they said, why didn't you uh, uh, demand uh, the, that all the troops were leaving the site? Uh, and actually, he was right. I did not. Uh, because uh, I had too little information and maybe also too little knowledge. I'm not quite sure. Maybe both. Uh, but the first thing was uh, to get a sniper off El uh, uh, El Actually, when I left on March 5, 2005, El um, Malia uh, was handed over to the mayor of Samara. Uh, they had a party. And then um, I think a month later or so, um, the tower was uh, heavily damaged again uh, by the insurgents. And then, I mean, you, you mentioned some of this in your article, embedded archeology span an exercise in self-reflection um, in the book, The Destruction of Cultural Heritage in Iraq um, by Stone, Peter Stone and Joanne Bajelli with Ford by Robert Fisk. I mean, I, can I just read something here? Mm -hmm. You say here, I mean, this is, this is actually going to, regarding um, Hatra, Hava. Um, we managed to cut the force of the explos explosions by half and set up a monitoring system on Al Hatra with the help of the University of Mosul. Could you tell us a bit more about Hatra? Well, a depot, uh, an ammunition, a Saddam ammunition a depot was discovered uh, uh, close to uh, the Al Hatra site, I think 30, 20 kilometers away from it. And the Americans um, <coughs> wanted to get rid of it, of course. So they, they, uh, they dug big holes, put the ammunition in there, and exploded it. Now, what happened is uh, uh, because of geological reasons, uh, uh, it was sand. Um, the, the trembulations uh, reached uh, uh, El Hatra site and damaged it. So you saw on, on a few columns uh, uh, of the Greek Roman site uh, very clearly uh, uh, that it was damaged because uh, the people from uh, Mosul University uh, sent me the pictures. And actually uh, the, the, the uh, message that this was going on was done by a uh, professor of uh, history who was part of a uh, civil affairs uh, US unit. And he noticed that the site was damaged and he contacted me. Now that was very good. So then things started going. Now then I had an, uh, um, an, an, an communication with a Lieutenant Colonel, US Lieutenant Colonel, who was probably also involved in uh, the ammunition uh, depot and uh, dismantling it, uh, which was at the uh, uh, US Embassy uh, in the palace. And um, he started interfering. And 
I mean, clearly, this American soldier and me came from different planets. Uh, we communicated very badly. We didn't know each other. How to, you know, we didn't understand each other very well. Now, um, my demand was to um, find a solution for the um, um, yeah for for the uh, ammunition uh, uh, explosions. Um, uh, I have to think, yeah, the right order. Actually, that was the time, this was already December, I think, uh, 2004, uh, and I was going on Christmas leave, my first and only leave, actually, during the seven months I was in uh, Baghdad. Uh, so I told this particular person not to do anything until I was uh, going back, uh, coming back. Uh, what happened, uh, uh, I got a call from the US Embassy when I was uh, back in the Netherlands, and uh, this particular colonel uh, went to the media and said that everything was okay. So I got all upset. So right away I called uh, the, the US Embassy and the persons I knew and I uh, told uh, the commander, his commander I think, to get rid of the guy and uh, shut him up. Uh, which happened. I never saw him again. Then when I went back to the uh, to Baghdad again after my uh, uh, my little vacation during Christmas, um, I checked. Actually, I wanted to go to yeah, I wanted to go to Al Hatra. That was already earlier. Sorry for the confusion. Um, this shows you a little bit live at an embassy and working with uh, colleagues. Uh, I wanted to see the damage myself and and possibly uh, solve the situation as uh, uh, you know uh, very quickly. And I had this uh, civil uh, affairs unit cooperating with me in uh, in the neighborhood of Alhatra. So I organized a helicopter flight to go over there and discuss things together with uh, the uh, university uh, people from uh, Mosul. They would go to the site as well. So we could discuss the damage and could uh, inventory the damage and see uh, uh, how we could stop that. Now that helicopter in the last moment, the day before I was going to uh, that area, was uh, actually stolen uh, by a, a, a junior, the ride was stolen by a junior uh, member of the staff who I told uh, him that I was going to Alhatra the next day. Uh, this shows you the competition and the unfairness uh, uh, between different members of uh, the staff at the US Embassy. So I never got there. Actually, um, that um, that convoy that was going, it went through anyway. It was going to Hatra, was attacked on the way. So to some extent, I was uh, lucky too because I was not in the convoy and didn't uh, had to, uh, you know, wasn't afraid for my life. How do you say that? I escaped. So to continue uh, on uh, El Hatra. Um, the result, actually, of my interference uh, in Al Hatra, uh, which was damaged uh, by uh, uh, the nearby ammunition depot, Saddam, I think it was 20 to 30 kilometers anyway, um, I did not manage to cut the entire uh, uh, program of explosions of uh, the ammunition uh, depot because you could not move the ammunition. It was too old and too dangerous. So you had to do something with it. 
but I did manage actually to uh, cut down the explosions by half. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the Mosul University uh, started monitoring the site uh, and went over there uh, very quickly and installing equipment uh, to, uh, um, to measure the uh, trembulations because that was the main problem actually at uh, Al-Hatra, uh, to put up uh, um, video cameras uh, and they went over there um, every uh, once in a while. So um, that's how far I got. Sometimes you want more, but you know, you don't get it. That's very simple. But I was already glad, uh, first of all, to get the Mosul University involved. Uh, they were very uh, willing to cooperate there and they really were uh, worried about the site. And well, at least uh, half of the explosions um, were, were cut. You, you mean half the explosions that were planned? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 In, those, in those three cases, and we've looked at Babylon, uh, Hatra um, in Nineveh, um, and the Meluia. Um, I mean, you say here in your article, the embedded archaeology article, I realized, I always realized that the military were part of the problem in that they were responsible, at least uh, in part, for the destruction of Iraq's cultural heritage. I mean, this was just general ignorance of cultural heritage. Do you think this was the, the reason, or do you think it's because of just the presence of the military. It wasn't just the, the ignorance, but just the fact that military uh, institutions do not do heritage, do, do not do history and archaeology. And um, I mean, you've written this article, The Embedded Archaeology. Could you tell us, tell us a bit about that? Because obviously that links into what the question is about, which is the role of the archaeologist. Um, um, the role of the, the heritage expert um, that you wrote about here. Um, and you write here also several archaeologists refused to go to Iraq. But, but, I guess, but I guess your presence was important because you were there working with the military or at least working to monitor um, the, the US military in particular. I mean, could you tell us about your ideas regarding this? Because I think this is an important debate that, that, was, well, that happened, but also now. First of all, the uh, invasion in Iraq was illegal. We knew that, and actually my son organized a protest uh, march and a demonstration here in Utah, which I joined actually. So I knew that. I also knew that I would be part of uh, the military machine, if you want to call it that way. So I was, you know, I had that particular responsibility as well. Um, the military were the problem, especially after Bremer, which of course was the U.S. Uh, embassy, took uh, this, these uh, wrong decisions to uh, get rid of the Ba'ath Party members uh, everywhere and uh, dissolve the army. Uh, so throughout my time, the uh, uh, war got worse, uh, especially the Sunnis, but also the Shiites uh, uh, took arms, took up the arms. Um, so, in that sense, uh, the presence of the U.S. Army uh, uh, definitely made things worse. And of course, these three examples you just mentioned, Al-Hatrat, Samara, and Babylon, uh, are definitely uh, 
uh, a very direct uh, example of uh, damage caused by the US Army presence or what they did. Uh, but it was clear from the beginnings, definitely reading uh, afterwards uh, on, the, on the war in Iraq, uh, uh, that it was the Bush government did not have any attention or intention uh, to take care of cultural heritage in spite of what everything was going on. Uh, it's like uh, Ramsfield, or Ramsfield uh, the Ministry of Defense said, well, shit happens. Uh, you know, when the, they discovered the broken vase of, what is what it called? Well, anyway, um, my presence there. I think it was a successful mission. Yes, uh, because first of all, I was Dutch. Nobody cared about my presence. Second of all, I had a lot of power, uh, more power than I ever had. Uh, um, I could do things. I was very happy. Now, to be happy afterwards doesn't mean that everybody else around you was happy. And I mean, not my family here back in the Netherlands, but uh, the people back in, uh, um, in Iraq. Uh, when I met uh, the minister later, after I returned, and I, I met him at uh, some kind of UNESCO meeting, he said, well, Renee, when I asked him, you know, uh, what did you think of my presence there? He said, well, I never trusted you. I said, well, thank you very much. I said, you were from the US Embassy. So I said, yeah, okay, I can see that. So being attached to the US Embassy, although I'm a foreigner, not, not an American, was not very favorable. Uh, being a military was definitely uh, uh, very favorable. I could never have done the things, and especially in Ahatra Samara and uh, Babylon, without uh, if I had you know, if I had been uh, a civil servant. I couldn't reach the uh, the military. Uh, although my rank, my as an officer, was not that high. Uh, I was a major. Um, I had a high uh, a VIP position, the equivalent of a two-star general. They told uh, the, the ambassador told me, my boss. That helped. Um, so yes, on the one hand, uh, my military position uh, did help me to get the things done. Uh, later on, um, how I ended up in the ICC committees. Uh, uh, of UNESCO was because the uh, uh, Iraqi colleagues uh, uh, requested the UNESCO to put me on the on these committees because uh, and except for the minister who didn't you know who did, didn't trust me quite well uh, the other people especially the SVAH and the staff and also the, to some extent the librarians did uh, uh, acknowledge uh, or did approve of the things I did in Iraq and that I was an, uh, an asset to the protection of uh, cultural heritage in Iraq. And in terms of when we're speaking here about the certain, you know, the, the things you accomplished or achievements, what would be when looking back now, I mean, it's 18 years now since uh, the US invasion, I guess, you know, you were there you know, 2003, uh, four and five, um, so a bit less than that. I mean, I mean, you've had time to self-reflect. You've had a significant time 
to look back at that period and also in your book here in your article um, and you know there's a lot of self-reflection um i know you you've 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 told me you've suffered from from um from stress from post-traumatic stress um i guess it's very common um for a lot of people working in war zones or conflict or fragile um um contexts if i look back at it uh, first of all uh, um and especially later on when uh, with a uh, Syrian colleague, uh, we started Heritage for Peace. I think my presence in Iraq as a military uh, a reserve officer uh, responsible uh, for the safeguarding of uh, cultural heritage at that time uh, was, uh, was successful. Now, uh, the CIMIC units more or less is dissolved in the Netherlands Army. It's called different names now. Um, Definitely, I would not join uh, the Dutch military at this particular moment uh, because the, the goals and the aims of, of the civil affairs units has been so inflated within the Dutch army that I definitely would not uh, go with them to do anything. Um, besides that, <clears throat> two years after uh, Iraq, um, I uh, joined the military uh, as a cultural a senior cultural advisor to the commander of uh, South Afghanistan, and I was stationed for six months in uh, Kandahar, and that was a total disaster uh, because I was so much in uh, uh, attached to the military, although uh, with the highest in command, there's not much I could do. I did not have that that freedom and that much power. Uh, that's why I never wrote about it, actually, uh, because uh, to me that mission was a failure. Um, I tried, uh, but I did not succeed to, to do much there. A few things here and there. Uh, after I came back, I stayed on for, for, I think, a half year, maybe a year, and then I quit the army. Um, so was it worthwhile? Yeah, at that time, yes. Would I do it again? Not within the present conditions. First of all, uh, uh, the Iraq war was a, a preemptive uh, war. It was not approved by any uh, international uh, recognized and legal multilateral organizations such as uh, the UN or the EU. Uh, only afterwards it was recognized as such. Uh, so that is a condition for me now, uh, uh, which I wrote later. Anybody who wants to join uh, the military as an anthropologist, archaeologist, or whatever, uh, it can only be after an, uh, an uh, approved mission by uh, this, this kind of body. Uh, that is at least the first thing you should consider. Uh, second, uh, yeah, so would I do it again? At that time, yes. Uh, considering the circumstances, it worked. Would I do it again now under the certain conditions we have now? No. Uh, is it important uh, uh, for people to join the army um, uh, in a heritage position? Uh, that depends. First of all, you know, the mission should be approved by the UN. You could join a UN peace mission, why not? Um, what we did prove at the time is that the heritage community should not wait until everything is destroyed after an armed conflict. And that did change. Uh, 
Mm. So uh, now people, uh, and including UNESCO, is convinced that they should interfere during a conflict to safeguard or protect uh, the cultural heritage. That is definitely a change. And maybe it, it was because I was there in Iraq. Um, then as an anthropologist, there's a discussion of uh, anthropologists uh, joining the army. Actually, there's an, there's an anthropologist within the Dutch army. I would never go into the army as an anthropologist uh, because we've seen that famous uh, uh, anthropologists like Margaret Mead and others uh, um, actually went, um, I think it was Margaret Mead who went to Vietnam to make an inventory of the tribal areas. Uh, uh, and that became part of the operations of war. Now, that is totally ridiculous. There have, there have been a couple of books uh, written about that. And actually, just recently, there uh, appeared in a publication in, in a Polish magazine and a journal, which is, again, quite rather conservative. And they're talking about military archaeology. Normally, I would understand military archaeology as the archaeology of military sites in the past. But he makes it uh, equal to uh, um, archaeologists working within the military. Now, if you discuss this at this moment uh, with colleagues uh, from the from the US and to some extent from UK, that's a totally different story. I would not agree with them. They went a different way, which I would not. Then again, would I teach the military? Yes, I would. Blue Shield, for example, uh, uh, definitely Blue Shield UK and international, send over uh, people to uh, teach uh, the military how to protect uh, cultural heritage uh, in times of war. Uh, most of them know a little bit about uh, uh, international humanitarian war and some of the uh, international um, um, uh, heritage law. Uh, so that definitely, yeah. Of course, you should uh, uh, share your ideas with anybody. Yeah. When I arrived, um, uh, apparently there was, uh, uh, I had the availability of uh, $15,000 that was um, destined uh, to use to buy uh, stolen antiquities. That wasn't much money. And to tell you the truth, I didn't like the program because uh, uh, if you buy back uh, objects or whatever from uh, the antiquities from the market, uh, in my view at that time, uh, it would stimulate uh, the looting and offering uh, uh, antiquities for sale. Anyway, um, the general director of uh, the INLA, uh, Asatek uh, uh, Sadiskender. Uh, yeah. Uh, he uh, asked for the money to, because he was buying back um, all kinds of archives and books that he knew that came from the library in uh, Almutanaba uh, Street in the, uh, the book market. So that wasn't much. And a, a lot of it uh, he paid uh, out of his own pocket. So um, I gave part of the money to him to um, stimulate him to buy back uh, some of the uh, stolen um, contents uh, from the uh, from the library and archives. Uh, but when I went back, uh, there was still a lot of money left, I think about $9,000 or something like that. So I didn't quite use much of it. Uh, I returned it uh, to uh, the, the staff of the uh, embassy. Later on, I get, got into trouble 
because uh, the people back in Washington asked me, where is that money? Well, you have to know that uh, if you read uh, the reports of the, um, uh, the controllers at that time, uh, the uh, inspectorate, uh, you see that a lot of things and a lot of money, especially oil money, was stolen. It disappeared, fell off the truck, if you, <laughs> if you want to use that term. Um, so fortunately, I, um, I drew up a paper before I left uh, and handed over the money to this uh, particular person of the staff and had him sign for it. So uh, I could produce that and send it back to Washington, so I was in the clear. Another point on, on uh, looting is that uh, uh, on um, instigation of um, uh, one member of civil affairs, uh, the lawyer, what, what is his name? Um, anyway, there was an, uh, an, an return program for antiquities uh, that anybody who would return uh, stolen, quotation mark, objects to the museum would not get prosecuted uh, and would get a return of a certain percentage uh, of the uh, value of the object. And uh, in that case, the um, Weze Varka, one of the earliest uh, surviving um, narrative rel uh, relief sculpture, uh, famous for Iraq, was returned. But uh, Donny George told me how that went, and that's a nice story, I think, to, uh, to share with you is that um, two boys, two brothers, uh, stole that vase uh, from the uh, National Museum. Uh, and uh, once they got home with the vase, the mother got uh, very upset and she said that she didn't agree with it and that the boys should return that vase to uh, the National Museum, which they refused to do. And then she told the boys, well, in that case, I'm refusing to take care of you. You cook your own meals, you do your own laundry, etc." And she convinced in that way to... Uh, uh, the boys to return the vase to uh, the museum. Mm. And that was very, uh, very funny. Um, uh, I think it was a good program. I did not much agree with it at the beginning, but uh, it did make a, a lot of sense, actually. Regarding the Iraq Museum and, and the, the buyback program, as it is called, um, actually, uh, Colonel Bogdanos, you know, from the famous book, Thieves of Baghdad, uh, um, it was his idea to come up with that kind of program. Now, the question is, uh, how effective was that? And I think I told you earlier that I was not a very uh, proponent, very much a proponent of that program, uh, um, because maybe it was too theoretical, but uh, in, in theory, at least, it would uh, um, stimulate uh, the market uh, of illicit trade. But I must say, in this, in this case, it did work, actually. Um, and, and officially, it's actually called uh, the Amnesty Program. Now, I, uh, I looked up some numbers. And uh, through the Amnesty Program, 60 of the 40 highly priced stolen artifacts from the public galleries were recovered this way. So it's just, you know, over 40%. And I'm talking about... Um, Things like uh, the face of uh, Varka, the mask of Varka, uh, the famous uh, lyre, etc. You know, the music instrument. Um, most, but uh, continuing on, on, on this uh, subject is the, um, what was actually uh, uh, stolen 
and that was actually why uh, Bogdanas came uh, to the, the to Iraq. He was a prosecutor in New York, actually, and his job was to uh, uh, make an inventory of the stolen uh, artifacts uh, from the Iraq Museum and try to get them back. Um, now he made a division in in uh, the different uh, uh, holdings within the museum. So according to um, to him, three thousand artifacts uh, from the above ground rooms was recovered as well, which means two thirds through the amnesty program and the others were done by seizures. Uh, so they were confiscated by the military. From the underground, and that is different uh, storage, only uh, one fifth, which 20% was recovered one way or the other. And in general, uh, uh, he continues about roughly 35% of the stolen objects uh, uh, known as of December 2003 were recovered through this uh, particular amnesty uh, program. So uh, in the end, I think it was a very good program. Um, and well, I, I told you one of the stories of the two brothers and how the uh, face of Warka returned to, to the museum. And that was only because of the amnesty program. Was the amnesty program open also for um, archives that were lost or stolen? And was it also open for things like paintings, which were also stolen at the time? That I actually, I don't know. Uh, a lot of uh, the paintings were in private uh, galleries. And we know that uh, from the beginning, uh, 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 actually just right after the uh, invasion, a lot of paintings were stolen. Uh, just military just went in and confiscated uh, the paintings, etc. Uh, I've seen some of the paintings uh, in the museums. Uh, I don't think uh, neither the paintings or the archives uh, were part of that uh, particular program. Uh, but I told you earlier that uh, the embassy gave me $15,000 uh, to do my own buyback program, if you want. Uh, and um, Dr. Saad Iskander, uh, the general director of the uh, uh, archives, the National Archives and Museum and um, uh, Library, he made use of that to some extent. Uh, so I don't think it was part of what Bogdanas had in mind. And why was that? Why was the focus only on the Iraq Museum or artifacts, antiquities, rather than the entirety of the cultural objects that were being looted and stolen at the time? We know, for, for example, that there were thousands of very important significant art pieces from the Institute of Fine Arts, I believe, which belongs to the Ministry of Culture, that, were, that was looted at the time. You know about that. Um, so why was the focus just on the Iraq Museum? Was it because of the international media attention on the Iraq Museum at the time? Um, or was it just because um, the US uh, at that time was only concerned of, you know, Iraq Museum objects? Well, in general, in the cultural heritage sector, uh, which is not officially, but which is my experience, is that there is a division, there's a hierarchy within uh, the institutions and also uh, uh, the artifacts. Uh, on the top is always the museums. Uh, secondly, uh, there are the monuments and then the archaeological sites, and at the bottom are the libraries and 
you know, at the, at the most bottom are the archives. So in general, people are more interested in the artifacts stolen from museums than books stolen from libraries or archives stolen from an archive. Um, then again, as you said, um, all the intention, uh, all the attention uh, of the international media went to uh, the Iraq Museum and to the archaeological sites. Uh, that is what appeared in the media. So everybody thought that, that was the worst uh, uh, that could happen, uh, uh, which was, of, of course, a terrible thing. But nobody knows that 90% of the uh, photographic collection and uh, the magazine collection of the INLA, at the library and archives, uh, you know, were plundered or uh, were burned. Um, people are apparently not that much interested in there. In general, if you later my experience is that, um, well, it's also actually uh, within the UNESCO structure because um, the culture uh, division of UNESCO is about uh, museums and uh, about archaeological sites to some extent and uh, to monuments. But libraries and archives is part of the communication and information uh, part of uh, UNESCO. So it's not considered culture in that sense. But there is already a division within the UNESCO which makes it very difficult. And in all the ICC committees uh, I attended and the meetings in UNESCO, uh, um, this difference is always there. Now the International Federation of Library Associations, the IFLA, and the ICA, the International Council of Archives, are often then uh, not present at those kind of important meetings. Uh, for example, uh, uh, the first meeting of the ICC committee on, uh, um, on Aidi, uh, my idea was the, to get the government together, meaning uh, to, uh, to collect uh, the archives, which were uh, all uh, distributed all around the, uh, the ministries in the ruins, uh, uh, to collect them and restore them so that the government uh, you know, would function again. And that just simply did not happen because the Americans, uh, which were actually leading uh, uh, the rehabilitation of Haiti after the earthquake, uh, you know, didn't think it was very interesting to do that. So in general, um, after my, my uh, uh, stay in, in Baghdad, uh, um, my experience was the same. Nobody really cared about the archives and libraries and about the fine arts I don't know um, well that's that's all yeah what I know about it who was in charge of the program Donny George okay yeah. and how many pieces did you at least within the time you were there do you remember how many pieces were returned no I don't know but there were quite a few hmm. um there are numbers on it, uh, but rather substantial, went into the thousands, actually. Mm. Yeah. And also, Donny showed me that there was a lot of funny stuff going on of what was stolen from the National Museum. And in fact, it was, relatively speaking, not that much, uh, because they took uh, very well, uh, very good precautions. They sealed off uh, certain rooms, uh, they heighted the entrances to certain departments hiding in the sense uh, they built brick walls uh, that uh, you know, the entrances were uh, 
not uh, detectable, if you want. They were not to be seen. Uh, it was only that um, the cuneiform uh, collection uh, was really totally stolen. And that must have been somebody from the inside because uh, the, the doors were welded. The, the entrance was very well uh, hidden. And only a few people knew about it. So in that sense, uh, it was probably stolen by somebody who knew, maybe from the staff or whatever. Then he was uh, smart enough, because he was at that time the head of the, the director of the museum, uh, to take all these precautions. And he even showed me uh, um, a hidden vault. Uh, and it doesn't make sense uh, to tell you where that was. But it was definitely very well hidden, and only uh, two or three people knew about it, and that was never the never disc uh, discovered. Uh, so it was very smart in uh, doing that. 